0: Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com.
1: This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com.
0: Hello and welcome to Culture Lab. I'm Christy Taylor. This is the show all about how science plays out in our cultural creations, Sometimes we talk about the science behind popular TV and movies. Other times we talk to artists and authors about the research that influenced their works. Astronaut Christina Koch says she thinks of her job, which includes spacewalks, living on the International Space Station for nearly a year, and dark matter experiments in microgravity, as doing cool things with your friends. And one of those cool things, before long, will include going to the moon. Before NASA pushed back the mission timeline for Artemis II last week, Koch was scheduled to orbit the moon with three other astronauts this coming November. Currently, the new date is in September of 2025. Reporter Leah Crane recently sat down with her to talk about life on board the International Space Station, including the tantalizing-sounding sport of human bowling, breaking records as a woman in spaceflight, and even what things smell like when you leave the planet. So my first question is, you spent
1: a long time in space, how was it to break that record? How did it feel?
2: Well, I have to say that it was a complete privilege to be on board the space station for as long as I was. A normal mission is about six months. And I had the the luck and honor of being there for almost 11 months, doing the science that's so important that can only be done there, keeping the station running optimally, doing all the installs and maintenance, living up on board with my crew. It was phenomenal. If I had had to leave after six months, I think I would have been devastated. but A lot of people talk about this individual accomplishment of having a record. I like to think of it not so much about that, but the idea that that milestone and talking about it is important because it tells everyone, it communicates where we are. What is state of the art right now in human space exploration? Where are we at? What does it mean to be pushing those boundaries? And I hope that the record I set is exceeded as quickly as possible. We continue to, to exceed those boundaries. And I also used it as inspiration. Those days when I didn't necessarily feel up to it, I knew I had to bring my best and to try to get the most out of every day because what I was doing was long and it was different. And it was an ultra marathon and not a marathon. And that was a very inspirational thing to me as well.
1: And understanding those long duration flights is about to be really, really important, right? (laughs)
2: That's exactly right. We are in an era where the Artemis missions and the Artemis program is hoping to send astronauts even deeper into space. Going on to Mars, after we take what we learn in a sustained campaign to the moon, those missions are going to be a minimum of a year and a half. And I hope that what the teams on the ground learned from my extended stay gets applied to that to make that that future flight to Mars more understandable, easier to plan, mitigate the risks and be one step closer to seeing boots on Mars and to seeing all the things that we can discover there.
1: After almost a year in space, was coming home super weird?
2: Yeah, that that defines it pretty well. Coming home, coming back to Earth, standing on your own two feet, feeling the wind on your face, all of those Earth things that you don't experience on board the space station. I remember a couple weeks before I came back, I thought to myself, I should really think about what it's going to feel like to walk because I just hadn't experienced that in so long. And the idea of balancing on my two feet seemed completely foreign to me. It actually hadn't even occurred to me that that was going to be part of coming home until about two weeks before so, you know, there's the physical aspects. Your body really does a great job adapting to microgravity, which means, of course, you have to readapt to gravity when you come home. Things like your vestibular system not responding in the ways that you hoped. Your vestibular system actually stops it stops being listened to by your brain. And so when you get back onto Earth, you don't have all those same tools that kept you able to balance that you had before you launched so you know learning to walk again learning balance learning coordination getting your cardio system back those are all the physical sides there's also a huge psychological and mental aspect to coming home when i was on board the space station i only saw 11 other humans for 11 months straight and that is just not how our brains are adapted to to work we process new relationships we process sensory inputs and that's what keeps our brain just ready for, for more of that. And so I'll never forget when my head popped Mm -hmm. out of that spacecraft, I looked out and I saw about five times as many people as I had seen in almost the last year, all looking up at me. And I thought, oh, wow, I'm really happy to be home, but that's a lot of people. And um,
1: (laughs) it's just like all of us coming out from quarantine.
2: (laughs) Exactly. It's so true. I think that that is an experience that many astronauts can relate to the, uh, the isolation of quarantine.
1: How long did it take before you could get up in the morning and feel like, aha, a normal day once you were back?
2: There's so many different grades to that. In some ways, I didn't realize until much later how I thought I was going about the world in a normal way. And then it wasn't till, like I said, months, maybe even a year later that I thought back to those first few months back and realized that. I thought everything, you know, I thought I was getting used to it, but actually just how I moved about the world and the relations that I had with other people, things, my body were actually a lot more different than I realized. So, you know, I learned how to walk in 30 minutes. I could be, walk with a little bit of help. A couple weeks the dizziness went away. A couple months my cardio was getting back to where it was. Uh it was out in the world a little bit, but you know of course, with the pandemic, I landed right before the pandemic, so that was a little bit that changed that kind of social readaptation aspect, but it it's a staged it's a
1: staged approach. So I went to your Wikipedia page um, before <laughs> this interview and i I noticed that you're into a lot of outdoorsy stuff. Do you miss that a lot when you're in space? I wonder if it's if it's like being stuck inside for a year or if it's more like a big outdoor adventure.
2: Right, I wasn't sure myself. And I thought, what if I get cabin fever up there? But I never did. I never got cabin fever on board the space station. Sometimes I think maybe if there had been a front door, I would have wanted to go out it, but there just wasn't. And I think <laughs> there was enough new things to explore just in terms of what life is like up there that I just intellectually was stimulated and the challenges every day were enough to keep me excited because on the earth i am full of wonderlust i travel all the time i love exploring i love the outdoors i love nature nature is a big is something that i rely on just for my own energy and up there it was actually pretty far into my mission before i realized you know i haven't felt the wind on my face in a long time i miss that and uh, like i said i think just having the challenges every single day of contributing and at such a high level with your crewmates around you just that en- is enough to kind of scratch that itch for challenge and for excitement
1: i imagine there would be a little bit of like man i haven't seen a tree in a while <laughs> and a little bit of like i see all the trees every day
2: <laughs> exactly it's <laughs> it is it's you you see it all and but you're not immersed in any of that and there was definitely days where I would go over to our little tiny greenhouse which is about the size of a couple shoe boxes and just smell the plants just to smell something that was organic and uh that actually did a lot for me.
1: I have a related question that one of my colleagues demanded that I ask. How what does it smell like on the ISS? Does it smell uh horrible and sweaty? <laughs> You know, if it
2: does, we get nose blind to it very quickly. The main I smell that I think most new folks notice is actually almost like a metallic smell. We sometimes say it's the smell of space. When we have a visiting cargo vehicle come and dock and we first open that hatch and there's that space in between the station and the cargo vehicle that has been exposed to just open vacuum of space, you know, unfiltered, all the UV, all the sun. And there's this metallic smell. And sometimes right before we open the hatch, we would call everyone over to have a smell to just be there to like take it in when we first open the hatch because it's very ephemeral. It, it doesn't last long before you're, you're used to it again. So uh, luckily, we don't necessarily notice all those human smells as much. But the uniqueness of that space smell,
1: I really will never forget. So I want to talk about your next mission uh you're going around the moon how are you feeling about that how what was it like when you found out
2: Well, the Artemis mission is really exciting. I've been excited about it for many years and to be a part of it as a crew member is a complete dream come true. I think I would have been just as excited no matter who was announced for the crew, just that there is crew doing this mission. That is the most exciting thing to me. The Artemis 2 mission is currently scheduled to go around the moon in a flyby about a 10 day mission. So that in and of itself is super exciting as astronauts, we sign up to be the people to execute and operate the missions. And we believe in human spaceflight. We believe in exploration and all the reasons for doing it. And to get to fulfill that personal mission in a new way, doing something we haven't done in over 50 years is just absolutely phenomenal.
1: Are you excited to see the moon up close?
2: Of course I am. (laughs) The, you know, the moon has been something that has inspired me for many many years for my whole life really i love gazing at the moon i always have and i think seeing it up close will really bring that perspective that no kidding it is a real and separate body in open space you know when it when anything stays the same size relatively to you you can get to Assuming because of how our brains work, that it's just part of the background, that it's not its own real thing. And I think seeing that difference of the Earth being smaller and the moon being closer will really drive home that perspective gain of this really is a separate body. It's not an absolute, it's not something to take for granted that we're always here and it's always there. And that perspective change. I can only imagine what it's going to feel like. I can only imagine what it's going to look like to look back at the earth and see the whole thing out the window and to know that everything, every person we've ever loved, every person, every forest I've ever walked in is all far, far away on that one planet. And to see another one up close, um, I hope to bring back what that really feels like.
1: Are you at all disappointed that you don't get to walk on the surface or is it mostly just so stoked to get out there?
2: I am nothing but stoked to be a part of this mission. I am so excited that I'll get to watch some of my friends walk on the moon, that I will know those people, that I'll know the teams that got them there, that I will know the process that they've gone through in the Artemis mission as a whole. I am just really excited that we are doing this. And to have a role to contribute is really just where the dream come true is for me.
1: Uh, How are you getting ready? What's the training like so far?
2: It's been a lot of different things. You know, one thing about joining a team when the team has been working on the project for over 10 years in many cases, sometimes even longer, is that there's a lot of people to meet. There's a lot of of things to learn about, things that have been in work for many 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 years. So, part of what we're doing is actually a lot of travel to meet the far-flung teams. There are Artemis teams in every single state. There are Artemis teams abroad. We've traveled to meet teams that from the European Space Agency. We've traveled to many, many states where a lot of the contractors and subcontractors are working on really important and exciting parts of the Orion spacecraft. So a lot of it has been that. And of course, every time we meet the teams, we learn both the technical side of what they're doing, but also their culture. We learn what we need to know To feel that sense of trust in the vehicle, and they learn what they need to know to see who their operators are going to be. So the welcome, the fact that the teams have welcomed us has been absolutely phenomenal. But then of course, we have real technical training, hardcore stuff here, which typically happens at the Johnson Space Center. And It's been classroom work, a lot of background, theoretical knowledge about the spacecraft, about the mission, about the orbital mechanics, about the science that we can actually even do on our mission. And then we're moving into the phase where we get a little bit more hands-on. We're getting to play with the displays. We're getting to learn the flight software. We're getting to work with the teams. And eventually we'll do full-length simulations with the mission control teams all over the world. And then there's the hands-on there's getting in suits, getting into the vehicle, learning how we're going to get out of the vehicle if, if and when we need to, working with the recovery team. So it is far flung. And I think the biggest takeaway is how many people it takes to put together a mission like this and the awe of being a part of it.
0: A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance.
1: So I know that your long stay on the space station was used to study the effects of spaceflight on women in particular. I was wondering if you can speak to a little bit how those are different from the effects on men if they are.
2: Yeah, I, I think that I would characterize it a little bit more as the long term effects on any human and the fact that I happen to be female could illuminate where there would be a difference. So you know how science works with what we call an N of one, meaning only one data point. It's hard to surmise long-term differences in what that might mean, but areas that they would probably look into might be cardiovascular fitness That is one that we are very, very good at knowing what countermeasures we need to have to keep your heart healthy for a six-month mission. But we haven't really explored what, if anything, we need to do differently to keep your heart healthy for an even longer mission. Because of course, when your heart doesn't have to pump against gravity, it actually adapts to that lower demand. It changes in its stroke volume. It actually metamorphizes your heart physically changes. And so that's one area that I think potentially could be different. So when I think about what's different, I think about the things that are different between men and women, even on earth, we learn about the metabolic uptake for medicines and how that could be different between men and women. So there's really just a variety of things. I think in general, anything that we see, that's either a difference between men and women on the ground, or that is a difference that we see in spaceflight adaptation, are areas to explore.
1: Can you talk a little bit on why it's so important to have a diverse astronaut corps? Historically, a lot of middle-aged white dudes. Absolutely. You know, I think the really cool thing
2: about the Artemis program is that not any one individual is a part of this crew and what, what they actually have done. But the fact that collectively we've made the decision that it's important enough to be representative of everyone that we are carrying dreams for as we explore for them. So NASA made this decision many, many years ago, and that's why now we have an astronaut corps that represents everyone. And the reason that's important is many, manyfold. Many studies have shown that missions, projects are more successful when you have a diverse group of people contributing to them. When we see ideas from all different kinds of backgrounds, from different life experiences, that's when we really have the synergy to be actual great problem solvers. and that's that's been proven many times and also the inspirational aspect of what we do. One of the reasons we are going back to the moon is to inspire people to know that when you come together, you can do great things, that STEM careers can lead you to doing really cool things with your friends. And that if you work hard, no matter what it's for, you can not only give the most to the world, but you can derive the most fulfillment out of that. Those inspirational pieces of what we're doing cannot be understated. So not only will we discover more, get there more efficiently and learn more and be more successful because we're diverse but we will inspire a huge larger segment when people look at the astronaut corps when people look at the teams putting these missions together and they see people that look like them that effect has a huge huge positive repercussions for people going in and achieving their best which of course is this amazing positive feedback loop where the next missions are going to be even more successful because as i say Anyone who has a dream and who's willing to work hard to achieve that dream is welcome at NASA. And that, to me, is a really important thing to celebrate.
1: I like that you refer to going to the moon as doing cool things with your friends.
2: Basically, that's what we want to show, because it's true. Doing cool things with your friends, it can be something like going to the moon. Every single day I wake up and come to work, I feel like I'm going to work to do cool things with my
1: friends, like go to the moon. That's so rad. I was just curious, like, what's the hardest you laughed on the space station? Oh my goodness.
2: Great questions. It's hard to pick just one thing. Maybe human bowling, maybe human bowling, because please explain. human bowling <laughs> is something that we do on our off time, which we do have time off as astronauts. We have weekends typically. And of course, after work, we work about 12 hours a day, five days a week, and then some extra hours on the weekend. But when we do have off We definitely take advantage of the fact that we are in microgravity. So human bowling is where one person kind of gets in a cannonball position and they either someone throws them or they get into a cannonball and launch themselves off of some handrails. And then the rest of the crew is sort of standing like little pencils, like the pins of bowling. And the idea is that you have to, you know, bowl with your body and that can happen in microgravity. So, you know, we astronauts, we are fun loving people as well. We like to kick back, have a nice time in our off time to blow off some steam. And that's one of the ways that we do it. So that's that's I've, I've laughed pretty hard doing that. That's amazing. Gonna, that's probably the best example I have.
1: My friend and I were talking yesterday about what's the worst sport you could play on the space station.
2: That might be it also. <laughs> it's the same answer, it turns out.
1: I mean, polo, I think, came out pretty bad.
2: Yeah, that's a good point. Anything involved Um, in
1: water, just... Regular polo. Horses.
2: Oh, I see. (laughs) Or large farm animals. Yes.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Luge also seemed pretty bad.
2: Luge (laughs) can be fun if controlled. Yeah. Yeah. There's been human surfing
1: also. Is that just a person standing on top of another person? Yes. (laughs) Love it. What was spacewalking like? Was it scary?
2: I don't remember feeling scared spacewalking, but it was definitely the most focused activity that I probably did. The activity requiring the most mental, physical fortitude. When you do a spacewalk, you are in this spacesuit for upwards between 10 and 12 hours straight. When you talk about the pre-breathe time, the the airlock time, and then the time outside can be seven and a half hours in many cases. So that is a very, very intense activity. But we have such wonderful training that we a long time ago in my experience, I should say, but I, I do think most people feel this way. You learn how to change any kind of fear into focus because mm-hmm. of the training that we go through. And because we we pretty much know that we have... Procedures and training to fall back on for almost anything that might come up. So recognizing that, recognizing that there's an awesome team on the ground ready to help no matter what comes up, the fear is really something that isn't a part of the day. But there was one instance in my very first spacewalk where I recall my heart rate going through the roof. And it was the moment that I was in the airlock. We were depressing the airlock, so taking all the air out of the airlock. My crewmate, Nick, had opened the hatch and we were on the dark side of Earth. So it was a night pass, as we call it. And I looked down and I saw a gaping black hole where there had been, you know, a side of the room, a hatch, essentially. And my heart rate spiked so immediately and so quickly it was a complete visceral reaction. And right away I told myself to relax and got it right back down. And you know, this is my job. I'm going to do a spacewalk today, but something like that happening that your body and your mind has never had to perceive before. It is really a testament to what that training is overcoming when we don't have that kind of reaction. 99.9% of the time.
1: Yeah. Like being able to, to float in open space and not being sort of viscerally, primally terrified. 100%. Exactly.
0: (laughs) Thanks for listening to this episode of Culture Lab from New Scientist Podcasts. That was Leah Crane in conversation with astronaut Christina Koch. If you liked this interview, make sure you subscribe to our feed for more like it. Plus our weekly news podcast and the delightfully diverting escape pod, all dropping right here every Friday and Tuesday. Find more journalism from New Scientist on our website at newscientist.com. I'm Christy Taylor. Bye for now.
1: This podcast is produced by OG Podcasts. Find out more at ogpodcasts.co.uk.